a mindset that is more humanistic, more 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 centralized on heart set and and mindset and connection rather than ego and me. More about we and me. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by Jay Ventures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, UpWest, and Hippo Insurance. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 187 of 20 Minute Leaders. I'm very excited to share with you today's guest, Nikos Saltopoulos, the COO of Marine Traffic, a startup aimed at transforming shipping tech. Previously, he founded Space Nation and Wonderground. He is a proud startup grind ambassador with a passion for politics, working with the Greens. A former journalist, Nico transitioned to a leadership role at a multinational pharmaceutical company before joining the startup community. He was head of sales and innovation for Brand Collective in Australia and New Zealand. Find him somewhere between US and Europe and Australia, speaking at conferences and events. Nico Psaltopoulos, thank you so much for joining me all the way from Australia. How are you doing? Hey, Michael, really good. It's really good to see you. Really good to see you. Really good to see you, too. How have you been doing this COVID? And you're originally from Greece. Now you're in Australia. What's happening with you? It's a bit mixed up, I know, but we can get there. So I started off from here, actually. I'm Melbourne, born and raised. And I moved across to Greece about three or four years ago now to do some work there with uh, marine traffic. And I came here, back to Australia, in, in uh, Feb, in late Feb. But I've been locked in with the lockdown ever since. So I'm not going anywhere in a hurry. And look, I'm, ha- I'm happy to be back here. It's a, it's a great country, as you'd appreciate. Um, and I just work remotely. So we're making it work. I love it. I love it. Okay, great. So, so you know, over these next 20 minutes, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about a variety of things that, that we've already started discussing before we started sharing this episode about this idea of dealing through adversity, uh, leading through crisis. And particularly, um, you know, also what you're doing with, with marine traffic. So, Nico, I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about where you started, where your journey took you, and, and then we'll transition off to the entrepreneurial stuff. Okay, so um, I, I started off uh, in the media, and I worked in the media for about five years, and it was an amazing experience because I, I got to cover lots of stories and really interact with people from all walks of life. Uh, but it was at a time when, believe it or not, the internet was just starting to have on, on media, um, it was in the late 90s, and you could see the landscape changing very, very quickly. So I wanted to do something different. And one thing I learned very early on is our ability to be relevant uh, depends on our ability to disrupt ourselves. So the more often we can d- disrupt our own trajectory, that ensures greater relevance in the world and the space that we find ourselves in. Right. So when I ra- wrapped up with media, I, I fell into pharmaceuticals. And I spent 15 years in the world of pharma working for wow. an, an yeah, an American multinational company based in Chicago. And they were absolutely brilliant. So I worked in leadership um, in, in pharma, really understanding how to build a business, how to engage with customers, strategy, marketing, wow. um, all the great things that you, keep, that you get to learn from a multinational uh, group like, um, like a huge pharma company. Um, in the last five years of my time in pharma, what, what I could see, though, was big corporate business and the way that it was structured versus this ecosystem that was emerging around the world, this ecosystem that was very innovative and disruptive and had a really good energy about it and almost like an attitude of anything is possible, just watch us and we'll make it happen. And I was really, really attracted to that because what I found was 
working for a big company, as good as it was in the initial stages, um, that it was slow to move. And we weren't actually responding, but we were reacting to change. Right. And, and that was a real problem, as we know now. So what I did in, within the last five years, I, I discovered co-working when I was in New York. I went into one of the original WeWork spaces um, in downtown New, New York. There's a story there. Um, and I, I thought, great, I could do this in Australia. So I launched a couple of co-working spaces in Australia. Whoa. Um, here, here in Melbourne. Yeah, um, they were very intimate. So it was designed to be uh, quite collaborative. But what it did as we managed these spaces and these spaces grew, it exposed me to this almost like, uh, it was almost like Alice falling into this black hole of uh, Wonderland um, of all these startups and tech and bloggers and vloggers and you name it, people earning income and making a living in a very different way to what I had been trained or accustomed to doing. And, you know, Michael, it really excited me and it enthused me. So I did that for the last five years and obviously that got me into all these startup events. I became an ambassador for Startup Grind um, wow. and I continued throwing myself into the startup community, understanding how it worked and, and, and the opportunity that existed in the world that was changing super, super fast. And all I knew was that I didn't want to miss out. I wanted to be part of the change. I wanted to be part of the world. I didn't want to be relevant. And uh, not being irrelevant meant constantly getting out of my comfort zone to learn new things and challenge myself and feel uncomfortable more so often than not. <laughs> wow. That's okay. So you're starting off all the way in, in media. You're finding yourself in pharmaceuticals in a big company. You're realizing that there's all these great changes and a big company might be so might be slow to move and you're transitioning all of a sudden to co-working spaces and starting co-working spaces in Australia and you're getting exposed to all these startups so far, so far, correct? So far, spot on. <laughs> startup, startup grind. And, and now you're realizing, okay, your, your passion lies in, in, in seeing these changes unfold, dealing through these adversities and discovering new realms. How do you find yourself then in marine technology and marine traffic? Yeah, it's crazy. It's been an amazing ride. Um, so I did some. I did a brief stint with a health tech startup here in Melbourne. Um, and whilst I was doing that, I was given a chance to do um, head of sales innovation role for a, for a fashion brand, which I'd never done before. And it was an amazing experience. Uh, but when I left that, I started my own consultancy. I, I really wanted to do something for, for myself. And whilst traveling, being lucky enough to travel around the world, um, remember these things called aeroplanes that we can't get into anymore. <laughs> um, I used to I basically, live, I used to basically live in one. Um, I, I got to meet um, the CEO of Marine Traffic, who, to be honest, at the time I didn't know a lot about the company. I had a really, I've got a really good friend of mine who works in the organization. Organization, and he did say to me, he goes, "You guys need to get together because um, I could see so many commonalities between the two of you." And we did get together, and we had an amazing conversation. Um, and that conversation spurred some work that I did for Marine Traffic as an independent consultant, and then that resulted into the role that I'm currently doing now. And I'm just so super humbled to be able to support an ever-growing team in maritime technology and the fact that it's a startup that emanated from Greece at a time when Greece was in financial turmoil. I think that in itself is an amazing story. Wow. Okay. So, so you know, I hear a lot about nonlinear trajectories and nonlinear paths to career. I don't know if I've heard as many that, that come close to what you're describing here. Now, talk to me a little bit about, the, about, about maritime technology, marine, marine technology. In Greece, during the economic crisis, 
you know, I, I'm assuming that you're talking about, you know, looking at 2008 onwards and what, what's happening with, with marine technology and why are you excited about that now? So super excited. It's an amazing space. Like when you consider that 80 to 85 percent of all the goods around us have been transported to us by shipping. Wow. Then you quickly understand the level of depth that shipping has and the role, that, the important role that it plays in our lives. Um, so that was one thing, the technology itself. Then I, I learned about the story of marine traffic, and it started off as a passion project by our founder, Mrs. Lekas. And he's a professor at Virginia University. And what he did was he created a global community, a global community of shipping enthusiasts. And what he did, he sent out AIS transponders around the world where people placed them in strategic positions. And then we picked up data. And that data now became the platform that is known as marine traffic, providing different layers of information to people from all walks of life every single day and critical information, as we saw overnight with the with the explosion in Beirut and Lebanon, it was marine traffic data that was able to actually piece together the journey of, of, of the ship that, that had the components that caused the, the explosion. So sh- shipping technology touches on so many different parts. It's the, it's the retrospective data that we have, but it's also the data that can improve efficiency in shipping full stop. And that's really, really exciting. So, so is that really is are the use cases mainly focused on on efficiency and optimization, or more about security and and knowledge? Where's where does the sort of big value lie in in having this data? All of the above, all of the above, uh, because it's different strokes for for different folks and different right. companies, different businesses have very different needs. So we've got to understand that when it comes to shipping, it's an industry that for many many years was actually untouched by technology. So the, the progress that we had seen in other spaces didn't exist in this space. So all of a sudden, you've had this massive investment in shipping technology that has really changed the way shipping is and will be forever. And that's really exciting to be able to be part of that. Now, when you're saying shipping technology, I'm assuming it's not necessarily that the ships are changing, but it's about how do we monitor these ships? How do we optimize the space that we, that we store on these ships? And how do we decide which ship takes where and what journey they do, right? Michael, it's a bit of both as well, because not only do we have shipping intelligence that actually gives us different layers of data as to how shipping operates around the world, but we're also at a day and age now where we're looking at autonomous shipping. You know, shipping without anyone is basically carrying cargo around the world. So exciting times that, that we that we through. Wait, are there literally ships with autonomous ships that have nobody on them right now? Yes. Yeah, so te- in testing, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Very, very cool. You know, it just dawned on me that this term shipping, you know, we use it in, we use it interchangeably now with any good that is being transferred from one place to another, or, you know, we want to ship a product, but, but it's, I guess it stems from the fact that everything was, is done by ship, right? You're saying 80 or 85% of the things are actually done by ship. So, so it's now making a lot, a lot of sense. So, so where it, so it sounds like, you know, we are in this, in this exciting time where, where maritime technology is becoming more and more relevant and more startups are, are going into it, it sounds to me pretty obvious that if 80 or 85% of goods are transferred through ships, this should have been one of the first industries to be able to utilize big data. But it sounds like that wasn't necessarily the case. There weren't many entrepreneurs going into that field in the first place. And, and that's a really good point. I think maybe there was an eagerness for entrepreneurs to, to break in. But like any industry... When an industry is set in its ways, it's really hard and it's working 
and it's working for the people and the key players within that industry, it's really hard to really drive the change. But at some point, something starts to break. And when it starts to break and it's not working as efficiently as it once did, that's the catalyst for change. So it's probably almost like a perfect storm, Michael. As we know, it was a product market fit where something wasn't working and it became apparent. Then all of a sudden, the need for technology in this case became more real and more relevant. Wow. Okay. So now talk to me a little bit about dealing with adversity and dealing with difficulties, especially through a COVID. We mentioned this before, but I'd love to hear a little bit about your take and your, and your leadership journey there. Look, it's been an amazing journey for everyone over the last few months and who knows what happens next. And uh, up until now, though, uh, as, as an organization, as a team, I've got to say, like, I'm, I'm really proud of the way that we um, and, our, and our team have managed through this uh, over the last few months. Um, it's been incredible. Um, one thing that we did was it was quite prophetic, actually. In January, every January, we have our kickoff summits. So we fly in our team from all over the world into the heart of Athens and we have a kickstart to the year, strategy, marketing, and time for us to bond and get together. Wow. During the last day, during the last day of this team, team meeting that, that, that we run, um, we, had, we had a pandemic. We had H1N1 breakout. So about 10 of our team members got sick during this process. Wow. So what we then did was in January now, we had to lock down our offices uh, to wow. avert, obviously, the spread. Now, that was basically a practice run for what was to come only like a month and a half later. So when we, when we and because we were following the situation from Wuhan and we were keeping a very close eye on the situation, when we could see things at the tipping point, just before they tipped over, um, we called it. We called it. So we actually shut our offices down very, very quickly. We communicated with our team very openly and we sent everyone home as a dispersed team to work from wherever they live anywhere in the world. And I think taking action early on and being on top of it uh, was really, really important, particularly because it's such an unknown, scary situation. The next thing we did, Michael, was we called uh, fortnightly meetings, which we still do, their global team check-ins. And it's a chance to just get together. And at times there may not be anything new to say, um, but the fact that we're together and we see each other on screen um, and we have a, a bit of a laugh, a bit of banter, is really, really important because they're the water, water cooler conversations that we can no longer physically have together. And it's not until... Uh, connect with the team the way you do remotely that you really understand and feel how how much the people that you work with really mean to you and what role what massive role they play in in each of our lives so so having our meetings um fortnightly with the with the global team was really really important very quickly as well we also formed the crisis management team and the crisis management team which i'm part of as well was all about assessing the situation on a weekly basis you know what are the hotspots? What are we doing? What are scenarios that we should, should be exploring? In terms of scenarios, scenario planning, it was really, really important that we kept it very simple because this can play out in so many different ways. It gets super confusing. So we only ever focused on one, two or three scenarios max and we we're usually pretty much in, uh, in, in the right area. But fundamentally, apart from all the logistical stuff, the most important thing that we were doing was maintaining human connection. Maintaining connection through through dialogue, through conversations, a Slack, uh, through phone calls that we that that, that we um, have with our team, um, or through Google Hangouts discussions, and they were one on ones. And maintaining that even to this day and beyond, it's something we will continue to do, is really really important because people work with people, people connect, 
with people. And we as humans give each other greater purpose and focus. So uh, ensuring that people are feeling safe and secure, tick, tick, huge priorities for us. Um, but maintaining this, you know, being able to look at people and see how they're feeling and asking questions behind the questions and all of that was super important. It has been our saving grace. It hasn't been easy. It hasn't been easy because even leaders have, have their moments as well. And I, I read somewhere recently that um, the role of a leader in a crisis is to absorb fear and exude hope. And I, I really, really believe that. Um, at times, though, even even a leader can be a little bit shaken, and I think it's really important for for everyone to hear that and understand that because at times, and I'm guilty of it too, we may put unrealistic expectations on our leaders and what our leaders should be doing next and what they should know and what we expect of them. Right. And if this situation teaches us anything, it it should teach us a shift in mindset. You know, a, a, a mindset that is more humanistic, more more, more centralized on heart set and, and mindset and connection rather than ego and me. More about we than me. I love it. That, that's, just, that's just incredible. By the way, how did the team react when already, you know, a month before the rest of the world, you're shutting down, essentially you're doing something that even in March, I remember that when, when you know, we, I left Stanford campus in mid-March and we said, okay, yeah, we're coming back in, you know, in, in a week or two after spring break. And then they said, no, you're not. We were like, wow, this is, this is crazy. We can't even believe it. I can only imagine the reaction that, you know, people might've had, you know, back in February or January when you're making these decisions, when the world is still not talking about COVID-19, right? Well, and, and, and maybe I misled you. So what we did was we, we shut down in, in January on the back of our, uh, our own pandemic of H1N1 infection within our company. So we shut down for about a week and a half, but then we reopened. So when when, see, it, okay. when when so when we monitored the situation and we could see uh, see things moving very very quickly, we were able to quickly shut down again for the second time. This time because of COVID, not because so of you, so you, okay. So you had so you had that experience and you had that and and you were able then to 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 adapt quickly and the, and the team members already knew the protocol, so it was a little bit less of a shock factor than than perhaps for others. Moving forward, I mean, what what do you see happening both both, both with your organization, but but overall in, in in the world of 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 technology and tech? You know, as you're experiencing it, obviously you're 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 in the forefront as a leader, leading a team through this crisis. You obviously have to prepare now for for years to come, both in terms of of work from home, but also in terms of you know running a company in this new mindset. So how 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 are you even you know approaching this? Look, it, it, that's a really good question, and it's a very interesting situation that we all face. Um, and it's interesting because, Michael, like we've been accustomed to um, instant gratification. Yeah. There's a problem, let's fix it, we're back to normal. And I know people don't want to hear the term, but we're entering the unknown. It's a, it's, it's a, it, and that's the new normal. You know? The new normal is to totally expect the unexpected. And you know, I think about generations before us who've gone through real hardship, through wars, through famine, through through difficult, life-changing events. And what those events taught them at the time was resilience and the power to be able to have a centered perspective and move on step by step. Our generation right here, right now, we want instant gratification. We want, okay, COVID, right, let's get over it. Let's move on. Let's get back to how we were. Firstly, I think that's a, a waste of a crisis. 
a total waste of a crisis. If we're yearning to go back to what we were, I could think of nothing worse. Like we've learned something, you know, we've gained something. So let's redesign it. Let's rethink it. Let's move on to something that could be better than what it was. But it's human nature uh, to feel safe and secure, to gravitate to what makes us feel safe and secure. And that is the past. But in this case, we need to let it go because as you said, and I totally agree with you, what we're experiencing is not going to last for a few months. It will last for a number of years if we're lucky, if we're lucky. So what do I think will happen? When you consider the mumps, I know, funny thing that, mumps, um, it took them four years to develop the vaccine for it to go to market. And that was with the whole world working together to actually develop a vaccine. Now, that was in the 60s. Admittedly, we've moved on in leaps and bounds in terms of tech and science and pharma since then. I get it. But we still need to go through four phases of trials, which includes human testing at the end of it before we even have a vaccine. So let's not wait for that silver bullet to come. Instead, let's redesign our own pathway. So companies like Google and Uber, as we know, have already announced a work remote plan at least until June, July 2021. So firstly, I think it's really important to be able to give your team, a company, a bit of a timeline, a bit of an understanding that, hey, this isn't going to be quickly fixed, that right. we're going to need time. And in that time, all, all we can ask is a constant flow of open and honest, transparent communication. People feel unsafe. People um, lose their balance when the communication stops. And even if there's nothing new to say, like I said earlier, if there's nothing new to say, maintaining that communication is really important. So for us, we have a plan over the next few months and what we're doing, we're monitoring the situation as I mentioned earlier. And in September, we're getting together, our crisis management team, and we'll assess the situation at the time to make a decision as to what we need to do between September and December. Um, Having said that, our summit for 2021 is in January again, and it'll probably be virtual. So we're look, we're planning a virtual summit and we're wow. excited to, to be doing that. But you know what? There's opportunity in that because we've reached out to some amazing global speakers that ordinarily we would not have access to. So right. there's always... Now, the other thing that I just want to mention is the, the mental health challenge that we all face during this time of quarantine and isolation, feeling the way that we're feeling. Um, one of the things that we did very early on this year is we employed a full-time psychologist in our team. And really? Yeah. And, and she's an MT coach. And every single one of our team members has unlimited access to our MT coach whenever he or she need to wow. have a chat, whether it's personal or professional. Wow, wonderful. Um, she's there. We're there to help together with our people operations team. I, that's just remarkable. I, I just, I'm so inspired by, by your take on it and, and your, ex, you know, the excitement that you're bringing to the table with this change and saying, yes, it, it, we have this issue. We don't, we don't know what's happening. It's, it's really, uh, it's really problematic, but we're, we're extremely excited about, you know, the different opportunities that it presents and we're always looking at the, at the upside of it. So I think that, I think this, that's just a remarkable way to go. And, and I'm, and I can only imagine that everybody who works with you in this company it can only feel this, the same excitement for, for dealing with this adversity and dealing with the challenges. And, and the fact that I agree that knowing the timeline and having these expectations and already planning you know, a, a virtual summit for next year, I'm sure that it gives some sort of confidence to the team that's saying, well, you know, it, we, we know some things, we don't know a lot of things, but, but our leadership 
is guiding us towards some reality that, we're, that we can be confident in. And I think that's wonderful. Nicole, before we leave, I have to ask you for my favorite question, three words that you would use to describe yourself. Sure, done. All right. Okay. I think first and foremost, empathetic. Um, I, I feel joy. I feel pain. I feel, I feel what you're feeling. And I, that gives me a real heightened sense of experience. And, and I love that because it really aids with, with connection. So definitely empathetic. I'm super, super curious. I always want to learn and throw myself into the most challenging of situations. People who know me very well go like, you're crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> How can you do that? But I do it. I do it because I'm curious. And I think that also leads into being adventurous. Um, I, I love adventure. I love throwing myself into a plane and going to countries that I've never been to before, not knowing a single soul, and then walking away with amazing best mates that are with me for life. So uh, I think those three words to, 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 wrap, to, to describe me. Nico, thank you very, very much. This was inspiring. I enjoyed it so, so much. Best of luck with everything. And I look forward to continue watching uh, uh, watching the company grow and watching your, your non-linear career proceed uh, because it just, it's remarkable. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Take care. 